Okay, so the latest interest rate increases has put a bit of a damper on consumer confidence. And I guess you can see where this is going next. I'm Sean Jaffrey, and you're listening to the Mississauga Life. So the latest interest rate hikes, the one in June and then the one in July, has definitely put a damper on any sort of rebound that we saw in the real estate market. Uh, the prices, after being stable for a little while, had started to go up sometime in, in February. So February, March, April, May, uh, prices were up on the increase 5%, 2%, 3%, numbers like that. And then all of a sudden in June, because of the interest rate hikes, the prices actually came down. Uh, according to my calculations, about 1.5% that the, that the average price actually came down in June. Obviously, there was an interest rate hike in July as well, and that's probably going to have a similar effect on the average price going forward. Just going to give you an idea, like we were sitting at about uh, around 3%. This was in 2012 for the uh, five-year deep discount mortgage rate. Uh, according to MortgageLogic.News, over the years, it kind of stayed between 3 and 2% uh, during the lockdown pandemic period. It came down all the way to almost 0 to 1%. And then it jumped up to, we're right now sitting at around close to 6% for variable at about 5.5% for fixed. So just a perspective here, if you're purchasing a home today with today's uh, interest rates, you're probably paying around $350 to $400 more than the person who purchased about three to four months ago on average. It's not unreasonable to expect the average number of sales to kind of go down in the next little bit in the summertime, maybe 10 to 15%. You know, if you were paying somewhere around $1,500 for your mortgage, again, these are numbers uh, on average in Canada, not specific to any city, but uh, 80% loan to value, 25 year amortization, you were paying around $1,500. This is 2016, 2023, that number is closer to $3,500 a month. Already we're seeing consumer sentiment come under pressure with the conference boards reading skidding 9.2 points last month. Generally, the first casualty of failing confidence is big ticket expenditures, just like housing, and followed very closely to housing, obviously the automobile industry, people purchase based upon monthly payments. And after your mortgage payment, your biggest payment is more likely your car payment. So the index of consumer confidence, uh, the sources, the Conference Board of Canada shows us that the index, which is uh, historically since 2002 hovered between 100 and 120 points right now is close to 65, 70 points. So the index of consumer confidence dropped 9.2 points to 68.1 points in June, its lowest point so far this year, as every province and region sees that decline. Following in kind, outlooks on major purchases trends negative. The proportion of respondents that saw it now as a good time for a major purchase fell 2.6% 6 percentage points to 10.2%. Its lowest point since February. Proportion of respondents that believe that now was a bad time at a 3.9% to total 66.9%. Following no increase to rates since January's 25 basis point announcements, many consumers uh, may have had begun to think that rates had peaked. Indeed, that was a reality for a lot of people. Inflation was withdrawing in line with the, with the Bank of Canada's goals, and household spending could realign to match a cap rate of 4.5%. Consumers holding such views may have had a snap reaction as the 25 basis points hike shocked these underlying notions, causing sharp reversions of expectations. If expectations now change from stability of a future to possible further hikes, consumers could over overcompensate with exceptionally restrained spending 
in preparation for additional hikes, leading to a downward spiral of consumer confidence. Kind of goes back to that saying that when people feel wealthy, they spend more. And when they anticipate becoming less wealthy, they spend less. Now, as far as the labor market goes, um, we are seeing early signs of a weakening in, in the labor market. Last week's jobs report beat expectations with headline employment jumping 60,000, including a whopping 110,000 growth in full-time employment, but the internals were considerably less rosy. For starters, massive population growth is now running well ahead of new job creation, which pushed the unemployment rate up 0.2% on the month to hit 5.4% nationally. Uh, keep in mind, Bank of Canada's target is to kind of keep it between 6 and 8%. It's now risen by 0.4% over, over the past three months, which may not sound like a lot, but it is the largest non-lockdown related increase since 2019. And prior to that, you have to go back to the financial crisis to find the last time the unemployment rate ticked up to this. Further hours worked, which matter much more for GDP than headline employment, were up only 0.1% month over month, which didn't even fully retrace the 0.4% concentration or contraction rather in May. That leaves hours worked down over the past three months for the first time since Q3 of 2022. Now, looking at the population growth, seeing where unemployment's at right now, where housing pricing is at right now, uh, population growth is on a very steady increase. Uh, it's bullish for housing, to say the least, uh, but also a continuation of the same massively pro-cyclical dynamics we've been seeing previously. NPRs, so or non-permanent residents, um, temporary workers, international uh, students and refugees accounted for a record 60% of that annual increase, with that cohort growing by a whopping 730,000 just in the past year. And to kind of put it into perspective, Canada is really on the up and up with this uh, compared to the U.S. The U.S. in terms of percentage growth for the population um, since 2020, maybe ticked up 0.5%, whereas Canada ticked up from 0.5% to 3%. So, I mean, in order for this to be remotely sustainable, you have to think that the chart that we're discussing constitutes a new normal and that non-permanent residents will continue to grow even as economic momentum slows. Um you know, it's interesting to think that we are, we're continuously increasing our quota for NPRs to come to this country. I'm not sure for what exact purpose is that for? Is it, are they bringing in money? Are they going to come here and study in post-secondary educations? And that's going to help the economy. Uh, what's coming to light more and more these days is a lot of people coming to Canada with the hopes and they've been sold the dream by some agent overseas that all they have to do is come here, get a post-secondary education. And after that, they're going to be set for life. They'll get a good job, be able to bring in their family members from overseas and, you know, Canada, the, the land of milk and honey, et cetera, et cetera. But what the reality is that when they come here, they realize that certain institutions, and I don't know which one's by name, but I've watched a lot of these firsthand sort of interviews where people are talking about they come into these institutions, these post-secondary technical colleges, and they find that it's just filled with people like them who've been promised something similar. Uh, meanwhile, these people have scraped every dollar that they have to kind of come here. They've sold land, properties, they've taken loans to come down here to get this education. When they come here, they realize that what they're getting is not worth diddly squat. And after that, they start working part-time to full-time. And since, you know, the government has allowed uh, for NPRs and for, for national students, rather, to start working, um, that's what they end up doing. They start working and start collecting money, trying to pay off whatever loans they've taken to come down or to send money back home to support the family that they have back there. It's not an amazing story. And 
given that we've had so many NPRs come into Canada, we now are seeing multiple situations, many, many situations where people are not even just renting out rooms. They're, they're renting out beds in rooms. So there's a basement apartment with like five beds and each bed's being rented for like $400 or something like that. Um, is somebody cracking down on them? I, I don't think anybody's going to crack down because housing has become a need, especially when it comes to people who are national students or NPRs who are looking to rent. There's not enough supply, so they're going to have to do with whatever they get. Statistics Canada, uh, welcome or said that Canada welcomed more than 145,000 immigrants during Q1, uh, highest number for a single quarter on record. The pace of population growth was the fastest on record for first quarter as well, with 90% of the growth coming from immigration. At the same time, in Q1 of this year, research.co shows that 35% of Canadians rated the country's economic condition as very good or good. 44% expected the situation to worsen. Six months later, we see some signs of recovery with 41% of Canadians saying that the national economy is currently in very good or good shape. I wonder how that's going to influence uh, upcoming elections. Of course, some people are doing better than others, uh, which is always the case. Uh, StatsCan again reports that the wealthiest 20% of Canada's population in Q1 2023 owned 67.8% of individuals' overall net worth, while the least wealthy, 20% of the population, owned only 2.7%. The gap is now 65.1 points up 1.1 points from 64 points in the same quarter in 2022. And for that reason, some buyers will have no issues buying new homes uh, as on average, residential construction prices have increased by 51% since the beginning of the pandemic, a factor that has placed enormous pressure on new home prices. This has far outpaced a 13% increase in the consumer price index since Q1 of 2020. That's it for this episode. Thanks for watching and I'll see you in the next one.